Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Drunk Book Club, where we read stuff that you might have heard of but probably didn't read. My name is Vry, and with me, as always, is Dorothy. Hello, y'all. Well, we put it off two times, and third time's a charm, and as promised, we have finally come to deliver unto you Chrome, a.k.a. the Robot Dildo Arms book. So, Chrome is a novel whose cover art um, became a minor meme a couple years ago. Because it looks fake. It looks fake. Like, it looks like something created in a Photoshop contest a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It, it is very real. Y- you will have seen it on the uh, the play page for this episode. But yes, the strapping young brunette man with, with an eight-pack being embraced from behind by the muscular shirtless man with long silvery tubes over his forearms. It's very real. It's real. And we read it. I'm not sure if you're going to regret it more than we already have. But yes, it's very real, and also it is as gay as the cover looks. This isn't like accidental homoeroticism. Is in some ways somewhat historically significant, as it is an example of gay genre fiction from 78. I have the 87 edition from uh, from Allison Press. It was a uh, gift to me for my weird rare book collection. Sean gave it to me. Yeah, it's an odd book. Allison Publications is a press that uh, was at the time issuing and also reissuing a lot of pivotal uh, gay and lesbian content. Oh, well, I'll be darned. This thing is out of print. For now. For now. Yes, our podcast will single-handedly bring back this book that should definitely still be in print. Oh, somebody's gonna put it up on Kindle. I mean, I'm sure there's a PDF out there. I don't think I'd advise going to seek it out. Should we talk about the backstory? Yeah. You went and looked into the history of the author, George Nader, and it yielded some very interesting results, particularly if you are a Hollywood buff. Yeah. So... George Nader only wrote this one novel. It's said that he also had a sort of um, potboiler, bitchy, behind-the-scenes Hollywood novel that was never published. He didn't want it published till after his death, which was in 2011, I believe. But so far it has not surfaced, apparently, because it was just too spicy. And, like, good on him for making me want to read it, even after reading this book. (laughs) Right. Like, judging by how fucking petty this book is... I'm sure he had dirt. Uh-huh. Um, the reason he would have had Hollywood dirt is he started out as a Hollywood actor. A significant portion of the audience, I would bet, does know him. Go on. His first movie role was in Robot Monster, which was featured in one of the earlier seasons of uh, MST3K. Oh, it was a Joel episode, so yeah. nobody watched it. Yeah, it was one of the early ones. Um, it was that's still cool. Yeah, you might have seen him there. Our German listeners would probably recognize him from the Jerry Cotton FBI noir series. Big in the uh, what time period would that have been around? That was in the sixties. So um, he he was big in Germany. He he was sort of the original Hasselhoff in that way. Looking at his like his filmography it looks like he mostly did b-movies over here and then went and had a big old stint in germany yeah and after the 60s um he became the personal secretary and living companion 
to uh, Rock Hudson up until Hudson's death. So he was big in the gay Hollywood scene. He had a lifelong companion that he met uh, doing stage work in like the 30s um, named Mark Miller. And they were together until uh, until Nader's death, yeah? Yeah, until Nader's death, I believe, yeah. And all I believe Miller is still alive. His ashes were scattered, but there is a memorial plaque naming him, his partner, Hudson, and apparently one other person. I ha- I didn't go find a grave searching. That was ghoulish. Mm. Yeah, that's... Yeah. But it sounds like... I can't tell. They were certainly close with Rock Hudson. They, they but, seemed close confidants. At, at the very least. But I don't know if there was a romantic situation there. This This would have been you know, gay Hollywood in the 60s through 80s. So whatever the the relationships were there, they were tight. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, one way or the other, you know, you you cover each other's back, which in Rock Hudson's case isn't always the best thing, but that's that's dirt for another podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's dirt for for somebody with a bigger research team than us. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. That, that's that's you must remember this territory right <laughs> yeah point being that uh so he was mostly a small-time actor he, if you have ever read a book written by an an actor turned novelist say the fine illustrious fiction works of william shatner you may have an idea of what uh this is kind of gay tech war isn't it as nearly as i can tell having <laughs> not read tech war yes <laughs> it starts off this book is to it starts off as inoffensive gay porn yeah like Like it starts off as a gay porno setup there's nothing wrong with that dorothy read this book sometime before me and she was the one who suggested we do it for the show and so and now i did not finish it when i read it back then though (laughs) i chucked it into a wall i did not actually because it's part of my rare book collection but in spirit i chucked it into a wall but i knew that if we were going to be doing books like books for this podcast we had to come back to this at some time it was my mountain. I had to climb it. You had to finish it. But she kept she kept peering over my shoulder and asking me what I thought about it. And for the first, like, 80 pages, I was like, well, it's fine. It's, but, so, so he's a cadet. Oh, shit, we forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. What are we drinking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Significant important thing. I'm, I'm drinking not Moscato this time. Dorothy. Yeah. Um. So in honor of the fact that a significant portion of, uh. This novel is set randomly in the desert and at various desert oases. We are drinking tequila sunrises. And they're good. I'm only <laughs> allowed to have a small one. Vry's allowed to have a mimosa if uh, if we stop. I might switch to a Paloma later. It's good. It's good. She also made me something that was blue and bubbly because stuff's probably blue in space. I'm pretty sure it was, <laughs> what was it, champagne and hypnotic? Yeah, we... I found a terrible blueberry Chardonnay and threw some hypnotic in there to make it worse. So it's like a Society of the Restructured Americas 75. <laughs> That's what Sora stands for. Yes, the O get, gets to be one of the letters. It's one of those sci-fi novels. But yes, the first part of this novel is just a very silly fantasy story. This dude... Uh, it's just a sexual fantasy about being a masseuse. Mm-hmm. But in the future. Yep. So Chrome is a cadet, and his last task before he graduates is he, he has, has to go. Well, you know how they all, how everybody always says everyone should have to do a service industry job once in their life. Yep, it's that, 
and they're they're looking to find some kind of unidentified quality. He doesn't know what he has to do to pass. They're just going to watch him for something. But he basically has to be somebody's slave for an undeterminate amount of time in an isolated cabin designed by, quote, an oriental cadet with a zen-like uh, sense of space and uh, the ability to design peaceful architecture. It it's... begins. Yep. Content warning for so much racism. So much. So much. I had forgotten some of the racism. Mm-hmm. But yes, so oh no, the, this, the thrust of this part of the book is, <laughs> oh no, he's hot. <laughs> because um, apparently this is just a thing where people have capital G gifts in this world. And Chrome's capital G gift is he's a real good masseuse who can magically heal you with his brain. And so he's come to this guy whose arms are encased in these metal tubes, hence the metal dildo guy on the cover. And he's here because, like, they don't know what to do. His arms had some kind of un unnamed injury, and now, like, the nerves haven't recovered, so. And so Chrome has to be this dude's massage slave. Yep. And so lot there's lots of long, drawn-out scenes where he's touching this guy's hot body and thinking His about extremely muscular thighs and coercing the guy into allowing chrome to give him boners mm -hmm. like that's just a thing and he walks around naked literally all the time B because it's so inconvenient what with what with the hands you know even though apparently he has robots for jerking him off somewhere in the no not robots sorry devices devices and mechanisms for jerking off how Somewhere dare you use house. that oh. term? Because <laughs> you see, listeners, it is death to love a robot. That is a phrase we will get used to. <laughs> I don't know why. Chrome is late of the Academy, and he has one real good friend in the world. Mm -hmm. His friend is Jameson, who was held back from the other cadets. So he's... Or like, came back to the Academy. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so he looks older than everybody else. He hit puberty and he's growing chest hair where everybody else is like this shaven, golden-haired Adonis. There's a lot of body grooming stuff in this. So much stuff about body hair. So much discussion of shaving. And so people used to pick on Jameson by pulling his chest hair. And Chrome flew into a rage one day and rescued him. They're not a couple. They're not. Don't get invested. It's so weird that they're not a couple. Right? They should be a couple. Because, like, they, they leave the Academy and they swear that they'll find each other again and give one another a sign. And oh, it's not till much later that it's like, oh, no, that wasn't a romantic thing. And I'm like, it sounds like a romantic thing, sounds bro. Sounds super like a romantic thing. Chrome is not entirely a, a virgin to the world of sensuality. On account of a thing that happened four years ago when he was 15, Chrome is 19. That's very important. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the... He is not a minor. He is totally legal. But yes, when he was 15, he was out on like a patrol and was captured by... A tribe of teenaged savage girls who tied him up and repeatedly raped him. Uh -huh, but but for he days. was super down for it. Yep. And that's like just a thing that happened, but... It's very he, relevant. But here we come to the thing where Chrome is as smart as Lestat. <laughs> a low benchmark. <laughs> the, these strange, half-wild girls who exist in this 
quasi-post-apocalyptic, I think, world. It, it has a little bit of a Mad Maxi feel, but it's not really developed. They inform him that Chrome is a shiny metal and it reminds them of his hair and his eyes, so that's where he got his name. And apparently everybody just calls him this. Oh no, don't forget that. That's they... just his fucking name. The, the, it also... also, his donger is hard. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. That is a very important part of his name. His name is about his donger. And we must never forget this. Never forget. This no- novel is essentially named Dick. Dick. <laughs> but, um, so Chrome arrives and he meets the love interest. King Vortex, let us call him. Young King Vortex. Oh my god. Young King Vortex. That's not his actual name. That's no. just the name Chrome came up with off the top of his head to call him because he was not informed of his patient's actual name. And he's just so magnetic, y'all. He, he's just so beautiful. Young King Vortex. The, the young is in there and capitalized. Uh-huh. It is part of the proper noun. That Chrome has made up. You know, it's just a totally normal thing to call somebody. <laughs> and we do eventually learn Vortex's name. He is a douche. What, what is it? Oh, you're going to make me look it up. Yeah. And there's a, a large cat there. And it wanders over and sniffs Chrome and he's overcome by emotion and starts to weep as the cat pads away. And this is meant to indicate Chrome's overwhelming empathy for lesser creatures, which is everyone. Uh, ah, here it is. I found it. Give me to it. So his patient's name is... Abd Lok Mond Zoom. There are a couple of H's in there, but we are informed that uh, H's are placeholders for sounds that don't exist in human language. Because you see, he is a robot. No, no, he is an alien. Well, we, yes. We're but... informed right from the beginning that he's an alien. Chrome is weirdly incurious about this. Why there's an alien in a desert oasis? And spends his whole time assuming, however, that clearly. Anybody this fucking sexy must actually be a robot. It's his deep, dark secret. Right. And there's so much nothing that happens during this part of the book. It's the, just, the, it's just horny. Of, of heated caresses and, and Vortex being kind of a douche, just a haughty douche. Mm-hmm. And I have to assume that that's just what Nader was into, was guys who were kind of haughty hard. and dismissive mm-hmm. and masterful, but also pure. Because, you see, we find out some things about Vortex's background. He was born so sexy that he found it utterly repulsive how, how much people fell over themselves to uh, do nice things for him and drew away from others and became a master of baiting. <laughs> like, it's a thing that he refined himself purely in the art of jerking off and also has a shitload of mechanized sex toys to do it for him. Like, like that's just a thing about this character. Well done. I mean, get it, dude. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's a better choice than fucking Chrome. It's most things. And yet, somebody does. Because at one point, Chrome wanders off into the desert and gets lost. And feeling being a pissy man, baby. Uh-huh. Because cause his boss won't fuck him. So he wanders onto the desert, gets lost, gets picked up by a dude on a skiff, and that dude is overcome with lust, and all of a sudden it's a bodice ripper. And all of a sudden is semi-consensually giving Chrome a blowjob, and then they're best friends for life. I mean, it's coerced. 
That is a coerced blowjob. Right, but this is definitely one of those books where... It is absolutely... Where we're supposed to just roll with it. uh Uh-huh, because he really wanted... It's definitely one of those, oh no, he really wanted it deep down scenarios. But it's definitely a coerced blowjob. Yeah, it's really strange. And then they're friends for life after that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Besties. they, They swear love and fealty to one another for life. As you do, I guess. And then Crumb's like, yeah, um, could you drop me at my job? It's right up the hill. And dude is like, fuck. He's like, oh shit, that's my boss too. You should kill me now. You should uh-huh. literally stab me to death with this ornate ceremonial dagger. By the way, my name's Ron. His name is Ron Locke. But through the whole book, they call him Ron. And, um... It's excruciating because I'm just picturing Ron Weasley the whole time. <laughs> and it makes me want to die. Oh, I had kind of a gingery Braveheart thing going for me. He's gingery. And his name is Ron. Fuck. N- now it's ruined for you, too. Oh. I know. I know. It's sad that I would ruin such a good book. <laughs> Truly. Sadness. I mean, this part of the book was, again, mostly harmless. It was fine. It was just horny. Yep. It's j- just a lot of sweaty sitting by the pool. Like, it's not, it is not a great it's horny, uh-huh. but it is at least on par with, like, B-tier fanfic. Yeah, it's fine. I have no objections to this existing. It's a fantasy vehicle. That's what it exists for. I'm not gonna kick a book for that. Yeah, if, if you've ever heard us talk about Dante's Cove on Twitter, it's kind of like that. Yeah, this is an absurd reality where everybody is gay and horny, and also... All of the sex is fun. And that, so eventually they do bone after a lot of just absurd sentences and sandwiches of- sandwiches of peanut butter. (laughs) And malted milk. No, no, chocolate malto milk. Oh my god. Again, Crumb is weirdly incurious about the fact that this dude has never before eaten a sandwich of peanut butter. Which is emphatically (laughs) how it is described. (laughs) By Chrome, not by the alien. By also, Chrome. Chrome is allegedly an adult, but there's such a focus on his enjoyment of peanut butter sandwiches and chocolate malted milk. Like, he is straight up eating child food. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. If you're over 12 and you're and you're, and you're still drinking- And that's your favorite food. Uh-huh. Like, I'm going to guess you have dietary issues at that right, point. sensory issues. Uh-huh. But since Chrome is supposed to be literally the pinnacle of humanity- it's very funny. Uh-huh. It's very funny because this supposedly grown man. <laughs> and eventually they bone and we learn quite dramatically that in fact, you know, they try to pull off. And Vortex is like, actually, totally I am a robot. No, for real. You cannot love me. And he tries it, to push him away. It is death to love a robot. Uh-huh. Tries to, you know, do this whole thing where they'll fake his death and then Chrome will run away and it'll be fine. But Chrome fucks it up instantly. Chrome immediately decides to just fuck it up for no reason. Because he's very stupid. He's Because, again, Chrome had to have a type of metal explained to him. He is officially as smart as Lestat. <laughs> is that the new bar? <laughs> yes, if you, need, if you need types of commonly available metal... Used in industrial situations. Explained to you. <laughs> you are as dumb as Lestat. The iron test is a good test. I like it. And this is another of those books where everybody is supposed to be, like, extremely clever and playing high-level uh, political chess with one another. But they're fucking stupid. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're really fucking dumb. And it, it, it does not help that the 
political situation is vaguely basic- drawn at best. It's basically, okay, but but the space guy wants to fuck this dude. I mean, like... That Earth- is the extent. <laughs> yes, all of the political machinations between Earth and this alien warrior race seem a hinge on the king wants to fuck this guy, though. After the jig is up with Chrome, there's... He, he runs off into the desert. Um, their pet birds die, which, again... Chrome has the opportunity to feel sorry for because all lesser creatures exist in this book to give us the opportunity to have Chrome emote about how sad he is when they die. Yeah, boy, does this book kill some animals. Oh, the cat's dead too. Yeah, by the way. Cat's been dead. For no adequately explained reason. I assume it was because What's-His-Fuck had spent years referring to her as his warrior companion as as his culture dictates right but now he's already decided he wants to fuck chrome so, so he guess, killed his so cat? i guess the cat has to die what the also f- she was randomly blind because but but yeah so i assume he killed his cat as a divorce that's fucked up i, I assume again this is not explained nothing is explained when things are explained it's bad it's really bad um so then chrome gets conked over the head and spends the next 20 or so pages in a coma. And this will be a theme mm-hmm. for the rest of the book. Ah, but you missed the most important part of all, where before he goes into a coma, he learns that in fact, he, <sighs> he was the robot all along. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and then we don't get any more massage hand jobs for the rest of the book. No, that part of the book. Then they're apart for almost the rest of the book. Yeah, almost the entire time. And I don't give a fuck about young King Vortex. He's He's kind of a douche. He's kind of boring and dickish. And the only thing he has to recommend him is he hot and he masterful. Mm -hmm. But he's not very masterful because Chrome has a dark side that takes over when he fucks. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, the sex scene is certainly something. It's, It's not good I, I will say shout out to their moment of the, their first meeting being very twilight-esque where, <laughs> yeah. where, where he's like vortex gets out of the pool and he's still naked his dildo arms uh-huh and he's all oh um also his arms were never hurt at all it, it was it a ploy was all some sort of ruse to to make chrome give him hand jobs mm-hmm. for reasons like it was an important political machination to make chrome give somebody a hand job <laughs> I just... I'm not joking. (laughs) It's so much. I'm not joking. Yeah, they have a brief moment where they're reunited on on, on Vortex's ship. And he's like, surprise, I was actually the king of an alien warrior race this whole time. And I kind of told you that right from the beginning, but you're so focused on the robot thing. But, you know, now you're here and I want you to be with me forever and I'm going to give you these injections so you'll be immortal. And they're called rainbow injections. Um, they're given to them by the, the immortal space race, which are blurry space entities that can see through time. Who come to Chrome in dreams when it's convenient. And now, was the rainbow flag a thing by the time this novel? Um, that was 78. Fuck. I forgot. And yeah, this novel was published literally the same year that the rainbow flag started to be used as a gay thing. So, so like... So that's hilarious. Yeah, Gilbert Baker debuted it in 78, and he was the one who designed it. Hmm. So, bizarre but hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, they give him the gay shots. Only the first gay shot. 
It's very no, drama. No, no, there, there's a series of three of them. Mm-hmm. And then um, rapist dude, Ron, right. has to count on his fingers how many days that took. Because it was two days between each shot, and you carry the one. <laughs> because, you know, he he's dumb He literally counts on his fingers. He's dumb but hot and super gay. Mm-hmm. So gay that he can see through the machinations of women. Yeah, because Chrome does not get to stay on the ship for very long. He gets seized, he, he gets re-seized by Sora and taken to an interim hospital. And this is one of the problems with the book, is that Chrome at no point has agency. Yeah, Chrome gets carted around and, and is unconscious a lot. And even when he's awake, he spends most of his time moping and hoping that somebody else will do something about this unsatisfactory situation Herf. Herumph. um his friend jameson is actually old uh blade runner style robots seem to suffer from rapid aging in this universe oh no jameson's not a robot jameson is just an operative who has been given a shitty earth version of the rainbow shots which causes rapid degradation, so I don't know why you'd use it in the first place. If it's not going to make you immortal, like, what's the point? Because something-something drug metaphor. But yeah. So, Jameson is, like, a spy operative who was embedded to interact with Chrome to see whether Chrome was not like the other robots that had been made in the past. You see, oh robots boy. are sociopaths. Mm-hmm. They're very useful if we put them in jobs where they don't have to interact with people. But so far, they have not been able to make an empathetic robot. They're incapable of love. But Chrome, of course, with his healing powers and giving a shit when birdies die or something. Mm-hmm. He is the special, you see. And that's why we had to have a conspiracy to make him give somebody a hand job mm-hmm. To see whether he was capable of falling in love. Ta-da! And so this means, like huge world-bending things because everyone is now like terrified also all of the extant robots um were built from genetic material harvested from around the world and purified to make them ideal humans but again they're sociopaths we never meet one no no but we hear about them right and for some reason god itself prevented any of the test tube robot babies from being female they all got dicks they all got dicks and they all most of them just uh stopped feeding as infants and died but the ones that did live are sociopaths Mm -hmm. because something something womb chrome was chrome was actually you know embedded in a surrogate uterus and they think that maybe that's why he's so good and pure and loving chrome's a shithead is the thing. Chrome is terrible. Chrome is so selfish. And profoundly incurious as to anybody else's pain. Unless, of course, it, it involves him and his feelings. Right. And of course- the, This is one of those show versus tell situations. Mm-hmm. And the other big problem is, so Chrome may have empathy, which scares the shit out of everybody, because there's like a big prejudicial campaign going on about robots we hear secondhand. Also, all of the robots are sterile. Except Chrome, because remember- what they call the bondage orgy throughout the book, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Remember that thing that happened four years ago when he was 15 and a bunch of sexy desert girls tied him up and fucked him? They all had kids, every last one of them. So we're informed at this point in the book that they had 12 kids mm-hmm. because he's super fertile. Just like potent. But yeah, so, so you may be wondering why fertility is an issue in this gay romance. 
That is a good question. I am wondering about that. And why the question of, like, genetic purity is an issue. Yeah. In this gay romance about fucking aliens from beyond the stars. That is a good question. So now we come to the, the reason I stopped reading it the first time. Yep. Here in part two, about halfway through the book. So you see... So the lulzy porn book that we've been just ro- coasting through till now... That's over now. That's gone in the rearview mirror. Wave to it. That's done. That's cancelled. Now, we are in the- that time in 1984 where, uh, the- where- where Winston just sits down and reads a fucking manual for 50 pages. Except that it's unconvincing characters narrating blocks of text to Chrome. Who, again, is named after his dick. (laughs) So, as it turns out, Earth is a garbage planet that nobody else in the universe respects. And that is because feminism. And also the globalist world government encouraging the races to mingle. You think we're joking, but we're not. When I told Vry this before they ever read it, I I told Vry that these were the the things that happened in the book. And apparently they thought I was talking about like low key themes embedded in the book. You know, like how sci-fi do. And then they hit... The lecture series. In fact, this is so unbelievable unless you hear it that we're going to read it to you. Which one do you want? Feminism or globalism? I'll take feminism. You take globalism. All right. Globalism comes first. Uh, so strap in for racism and anti-Semitism, folks. <clears throat> so Jameson, an operative of the world government who... Hates who he works for, but truly loves his planet is and is incapable of ever truly working against them because he has devoted much of his preternaturally long life to them. <clears throat> Chrome has found out from his lifelong friend and rapist, Ron, that Earth is called a garbage planet. Ron is busy panting after another dick of a guy who looks exactly like Chrome right now, but is tragically heterosexual. Oh, it's so sad. We'll come to him. Yeah. But that brings me back to the original why. What's wrong with us? Uh, I mean, with man as he is right now. And Jameson says, Only a few generations. That's all it took. First, a few years of our damnable Sora's meddling. Jameson! This disloyalty from him was unimaginable. Yes, the damnable Society of Restructured Americas, Chrome. You've got a lot of growing up to do. Better listen and learn. First came Sora's lowering of all standards, its insistence that all were equal in everything. Next, its vast propaganda campaign, urging indiscriminate mating. Finally, the enforced mixing, the deliberate, carefully programmed couplings demanded by its new laws. Then it was over. Centuries of excellence. Man's priceless heritage, his treasure house of everything noble and fine, all were wiped out. And in their place, a new kind of man. A homogenized population in which the lowest of intelligence, the dullest of imaginations, the weakest of personalities were made to flourish. A residue race, unfit to care for itself, unable to even keep control of its own wastes, incapable of protecting the very planetary conditions which sheltered it. so sad you guys Sora did this purposefully very purposefully and with almost complete success 
Yep. So, so yeah. So, uh, extremely I... racist. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Yep, 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 yep. And I've read a few sci-fi novels from this sort of stretch of a time period that had this anxiety that the world government was going to force people to fuck and mingle races. It's a weird fucking racist theme that I've seen before. Piers Anthony's got one about that and about having to backwards engineer um, racially pure humans. Again, in order to re-stimulate uh, curiosity and creative um, impulses in humanity. You know, that's a new because... reason that, that Piers Anthony is a shithead that I didn't know, but it's good to know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some of his books had titties in them, so uh, I went to the used bookstore when I was like 14 and bought a sack with his name on them. Of course. And that was in there. <laughs> My God. And that existed. It's called Race Against Time. Oh my god. Yeah. Yes, so intermingling of the races brought the white man down and his brilliance. Yep. And then I we... mean I mean the I'm not gonna say that word again. The Asians mm-hmm. are clearly good for artistic and architectural purposes. Mm. Yeah. As is established. It, it's funny how that passage doesn't like name any particular races, but like we we know. We know what he's saying. This this book where all of the most ideal people are blonde and blue-eyed and extremely hard bodies mm-hmm. and able. Yep. Yep. So then we get to the gender shit. I get to read this one. I mean, one. there's a disabled person in the book for like five minutes. Uh, yeah, that ends well. Ahem. So, here's why feminism ruins humanity. You know, in case that wasn't enough to hate this book. Right. <laughs> First, Sora tells your women that they're the equals of men in every way. So, so this is not Jameson. Anyway. Uh, this is Ron. No, this is Tor, the tragic heterosexual. Ah, right. Ron's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Who is tragically heterosexual. So sad. First, Sora tells your women that they're the equals of men in every way, that all females of true intelligence must and will fight for their rightful pro- place. So these women, most of them, stop being mothers. Their semen, yes, is lost to your race, and this loss, the loss of their intelligence, cannot be made up. It's gone forever. Sadly, this loss keeps growing as the women, lied to by Sora, become hungry for more power. They struggle against men to get it, to dominate. Only the lower brain levels of your race continue to reproduce, with Sora all the while speeding up the incorrect matings, Wrongly, on purpose, so as to control the planet's people completely. Soon you have nothing but... There's a little bit of futzing around and they come up with the word genetic hash. Exactly, Chrome. In the breeding kitchens of your planet, it's Chrome is the one who suggested this term. Uh Uh-huh. Sora has structured a genetic hash. Precisely why your world scientists had to band together, first in secret, then in the open. They gathered here at the Desert Academy under the direction of the Scientific Advancement Committee to work in the committee's laboratory, searching for a way out of the genetic dilemma, trying to unmake the hash to fit the pieces back in place. Trying to create an ubermensch. Yep. Chrome. Chrome is the ubermensch. And, um, so yeah, this is like if idiocracy were even more intolerable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... As you pointed out, it's not that this book thinks that all women are inherently stupid. It knows some women are real smart. 
It just thinks that those women need to be oppressed extra hard so that they'll breed. Right. It they, they have to suppress their own wants and pass them on to their presumably, hopefully, male heirs. It's the most important, so bad. Um, the most important and active woman in this book is has been encased in a in a pillar of ice for like a thousand years. Are we reading Anne Rice again? I mean, I'm not wrong. No, you're not wrong. I'm just, I'm just think because like you know the racism in that book was a little more veiled. <laughs> not much, but a little. Yeah, this was 1978. Yeah, so like you know, second wave feminism was in full bloom. I, I would say I think we could call this white gaze the book oh yeah yeah this is fuck you got mine the book Mm -hmm. log cabin republicans would love this book right because this is positing a world where there's no particular stigma to being gay as long as you're jizzing a lot Mm -hmm. yeah there's this weird there's a semen theft subplot yeah, part of the why they have Chrome in this hosp- this Sora hospital and why they were so desperate to get him back is so they could milk him for jizz. That's just a thing. And and he's usually passed out. Because, again, he spends, like, the back half of this book unconscious most of the time. And in between, he's visited by knockoff Nurse Ratched. Oh, and, well, and also the terrible slut Lorna. Oh my god. So he has- all the nurses in this hospital are hot, but Except so dumb. for Nurse Ratched. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mother. Mother T. I forget what her name is. Yeah. She but- pities the fool. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's fat, uh-huh. and therefore not genetically perfect, and she only bred once in her life, and her son Charles is dead, and she's immune to the charms- because we're informed repeatedly that Chrome is extremely charming, despite so charming. no evidence from inside his head. <laughs> um, that she's immune to the charms of the sociopathic robots trying to uh, to offer her blandishments because a robot killed her son Charles. Chrome doesn't ask about this. Nope. Therefore, we get no further details. He's worse than Harry Potter at following up on shit. Mm-hmm. We we just like, kind of hear he, stuff in passing, and yeah, and he's so selfish. That at no point does it occur to him to be like, gosh, ma'am, I'm sure sorry that happened. Nope. So I spent like six chapters convinced that I knew where this was going. I was like, okay, I got this. Because we know that Chrome was gestated inside a human womb. And that makes him different from the other robots. So therefore, I bet he's the same person as Charles. And she's going to find out and experience a remorse and help save him. (laughs) <laughs> no. No, she just exists to be repeatedly uh, bludgeoned and uh, go mad. Like, for her hatefulness. The misogyny takes, like, a left turn and a 90 degree uphill. Misogyny leaps out. Because <laughs> we have the the physically unattractive woman, and then we have Lorna the nurse, who is very hot, but she's had plastic surgery, you guys, and that's kind of fake. That's evil and fake, and it makes her less human- than Chrome, the genetically engineered weirdo. Uh-huh. And also it makes her less human than the literal aliens from a different planet. But Tor, Tor Chrome, who is assigned to be Chrome's other bodyguard, he wants to fuck her. Because he's tragically heterosexual. And, and this makes Ron very sad because Ron wants to fuck Tor. They did bone down once, but... They, they, they do bone down because what do you do in space? Uh-huh. Also, um, Tor looks exactly like Chrome. So, you know, that's awkward. Which is weird because 
Now, perhaps it was the name, but I had a Battlefield Earth sort of image in my mind. You know, with the full and the dreads and the long black hair. And I was oh, seeing th- John Travolta. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. No, Turl. Yes, I was thinking of Turl and also Rip Torn, who yeah. doesn't deserve this. Yeah, but, but these aliens don't, like, do facial hair. No. We get constant updates on the state of everybody's uh, shaving. It's like at one point in the early part of the book, we get a little hurt comfort scene where where young King Vortex tells Chrome to go fucking shave because your your stubble is gross. And he slits his own throat with a straight razor because he's such a fuck up. He's and and then we get a little hurt comfort scene from that. In this part of the book, it's revealed that depilatory creams exist and are extremely common. Yep. But we still get constant updates on the state of his beard. Which is weird because they don't even use it for an intimate, like, let me shave you type thing. No, it's just a thing where hair is gross. Which, again, is clearly like an authorial thing peeking out. I suspect. So Lorna and Tor are fucking- And would you like me even if I was so gross that I had a beard? Like, would you still be into that? I just, I want to know if if George Nader ever met a bear and if he, and if that man punched him. I hope so. (laughs) Um, Also, Lorna is a terrible person because she wears contact lenses. So. And that's proof of her her genetic weakness is because she had to be augmented to have her body be shaped the way it is. And she had to dye her hair for it to be this color. And she wears contact lenses over her weak gray eyes that are not actually powerful and violet. Which, first of all, rude. I'm fucking blind as a bat. And my eyes are gray. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's this whole thing. And to continue the trend of- Like, she is defrauding the world by pretending to be hot. It, this book hates women so much, you guys. Mm-hmm. Like, with such intensity. So much. And again, the book acknowledges that there are good and intelligent women. The problem is that they're working. It, it doesn't care that these good and intelligent women might have an internal life. Oh, heavens no. Because their function is to be breeders for dudes who are probably fucking other dudes at the same time. So in the continuing in the tradition of shit happening off screen, Tor and Lorna are fucking, but eventually it turns out that Lorna is a spy who sells them out to Sora. Along with Nurse Ratched. Shocking. We're all shocked that this obviously evil woman was a, a spy. I honestly was confused when that was revealed as a twist because I was like, I was like, yeah, y- yeah, that's been but patently it- obvious. But, like, Young King Vortex picked her specifically because she probably knows her job as a nurse. Um, we also meet Dr. Irene briefly. Right. She is... Uh, she has a last name, but um, Chrome doesn't use it for her. Because even though she is a doctor and highly qualified and much more important than him, mm-hmm. she runs the nurseries. Th- it, that's what women do. It's It starts with an F, and it's in my mind forever. Find, it's fish odor, and that's not what it is. It's fine something, and it's vaguely German, but... Because, mm-hmm. of course, it's vaguely German. She's a very tall, striking lady with black hair. Um, but, yeah, Chrome calls her Dr. Irene, because she's just a lady doctor, after all. Mm-hmm. And for a second, things threaten to be dramatic, because they're going to... Because she reveals that, actually, he has 16 children, nine of them girls... Oh, no. And he's, like, vaguely interested in that, but also kind of not. 
But he needs to get out of this facility because they're going to take him and wipe and like take him into surgery and kind of scoop out the part of him that empaths. Well, well, they specifically want to scoop out the part of him that remembers he and Vortex fucked mm-hmm. because that they want to keep milking him for jizz. And so, like the that's one the stakes. It, I mean, it does lead to like the one action scene in the book where there's like a showdown in the the surgery atrium. Tor and Ron are dead. Yep, and it's all very drama. There is. A person repeatedly described as a t- a small teenage girl there. Mm-hmm. She's very empathetic towards Crom and therefore a good woman. And then you would you might think that perhaps then Crom passes out again. Uh huh. And you might think that perhaps he does a daring escape, but no, no, no. He tries to kill himself, and somehow this proves that because robots are only self interested. He must truly be a full human because... Because he tries to commit suicide. Yep. And so... There are no physical repercussions for this. Nope, he's fine. Um, Then he wakes up a while later. Back at his training academy. Nurse Ratchet is dead also. Yeah, she's dead. Uh, She Um, had like a... she, She had like a mental breakdown... Before dying. Also, her face got repeatedly beaten in, and we were treated to many descriptions of how grotesquely swollen it was. Yep, she she mistakes Chrome for her son for a minute. So and that goes nowhere. Nope. Nope, it, that might have been a good twist, but it goes nowhere. And then we're away from the hospital, and we're told that, all right, you're back at the Desert Training Academy now. Ron and Tor both died of radiation poisoning. Very sad. Well, well Tor also got stabbed the fuck up, or shot. It, well, they were sh- shot with radiation. Oh, that they were makes shot sense. with radiation bullets. Also, we're informed that that the warriors of the proud space warrior race wear, wear fancy heavy capes and have cool weapons, none of which do anything mm-hmm. during the plot. Ron and Tor are dead, and apparently people who handled their bodies were exposed to fatal levels of radiation, and a bunch of them died, and Chrome doesn't give a shit. Not even a little bit, but he is... There is... The stupidest thing where they use Tor's body to, as a dupe for Chrome to try. Even, and, even though there are aliens who can see through time, present. Mm-hmm. And for a minute, we are convinced that oh no, Vortex thinks that Chrome is dead, which is a plot device that I hate. But also, it's immediately undone because, like five pages later, we are assured that oh, he saw through that instantly. Right, b- because the aliens that can see through time can give you like the hookup to mm-hmm. communicate. So don't worry about that particular piece of tension. It's not there. The, now the artificial thing keeping them apart is the fact that Vortex is under restrictions that he is only allowed to get Chrome out if nobody dies. He, he's not allowed to kill any civilians. And, and it's a completely separate individual endeavor because they have cut off all diplomatic ties with the garbage planet Earth. Because he specifically was the one who told Earth to go fuck itself. Uh Uh-huh. He made this problem. Uh Uh-huh. He has made his own problem. The rod for his own back. (laughs) Well, his own something. (laughs) The chrome for his own back. (laughs) Um, Chrome fucks some more people. Yeah, so he's hanging out at the Desert Academy and they're like, all right, you just got to sit here and be chill. These names are bad sci-fi names. Uh Uh-huh. Nobody has a good sci-fi name in this. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, because his friend Jameson is still there. He, he's suffering, like, physical degradation or something because of the shitty version of the rainbow shots. Right. He, he, which will never not be funny. He's degrading, and also he is suffering withdrawals. Right. His possibly maybe life partner is named Jill. She gets two scenes. I like Jill. Jill deserved better. She, she's very competent, and therefore it's very sad that she's working a job. Mm. Yes, but she's the ideal job worker because she's there in the secondary position supporting him. Right, but she's not making babies. It's true, so it is a loss. The the person described as a small teenage girl is there. Yep. Um, but now one of her arms is paralyzed because of the altercation. And it is the strangest thing. And her name is Annie. And also there's a dude named Donald. And my father's name was Donald, so I cannot take any of this seriously. It got point. real weird real fast. <laughs> uh-huh. There is a weird aborted plot thread where Donald introduces himself and and Anne and another person as also being Freeman, which is the name for... uh, Clones that have empathy. Mm Mm-hmm. But it turns out later that he was lying, but none of the other people are in on that conspiracy. But, But, like, he is another of the robots, but Anne isn't. So, like... It could just be bad writing. That is a possibility going on here. The The deal with Chrome hanging out in this facility is that, all right, if you're very good, then perhaps we will let you see your children because we have them in a facility up north and Dr. Irene is in charge of them and she's on his side. But this, in, like, this kicks off another long period of Chrome sitting around and doing not much, saying, man, you should let me see my kids. And then they don't let him see his kids. He's like, man, I'm angry about that. I'm just going to, like, kick things impotently and, like, be a dick to people. And meanwhile, Donald is making a right pain in the ass of himself by being, like, by by coming aggressively onto this guy who repeatedly Chrome has said, I'm not interested, though, and he will not give it up. No, no. Donald's not so much making it. A pain in the ass of himself is asking Chrome to make a pain in the ass. And there is this... Sorry, folks, I need to grab myself another sunrise. Oh, you're going to leave me to explain the statutory sex scene. That's fine. That's fine and good. Thank you. So eventually, Chrome, who is a dick, decides, well, this dude's not going to lay off, so I guess I'll fuck him and make it an incredibly rough, miserable experience, and then he'll leave me alone, because he's terrible. And they get to the room, and they fool around a little bit, and Chrome can't get it up because he thinks, oh no, the radiation scene has made him impotent. This is very sad. And then he's like, aha, you see. And he's like, how it comes out eventually that, in fact, Donald is only 17, at which point there is this oddly bitter little piece of dialogue where it talks about, like, Donald coming on to him, just as as though... It's strangely unnecessary, because recall again that Chrome produced a pack of babies at 15. Like, this is already the book we're in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's so weird and bitter. It's, it's, it's extremely... But he came on to me, officer. And it's a... In fact, it's so weird that I am going to look up that fucking piece of text. But, so then in the middle of the scene, Donald starts to use mesmerism powers 
on Chrome and plants a post-hypnotic suggestion in the scene. We're told this is happening. But then later there's a reveal where Chrome reacts to this information as new information and is shocked and appalled to find out that this happened. And it's just sort of classically bad writing in that you should have done a fade to black and then let that reveal happen later. Yeah, there's there's this weird little line that goes, My head slumped forward onto my arms, not yet 18. The gods help and defend me against the golden-eyed little fiend. I'm like, I had some straight-up Marius talk right yeah, there. Yeah, I had some Marius flashbacks. Again, Chrome is 19. Mm-hmm. He might be 20 at this point. So, like, it's not especially weird, but it's like the voice of the author creeping in, being so put on. That Those teenage hoes. Putting on, coming on to me and making me look bad for again, fucking them. This man has been in a relationship since the 30s. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, allegedly, allegedly. It's just, it's got that feel to it. <clears throat> in a real bad way. Yeah. It's, it definitely has a soapbox moment mm-hmm. feel. And so, after the mesmerism and the awkward, uh, the awkward hand job, which... Again, is brought back as a reveal later. What did he put it in? Unclear. Uh, a space tube? Did he, like, carry it in his mouth? <laughs> did he carry it in his mouth back to Anne's crotch? He just, you know... Oh, um, also, there's a cult. Meanwhile, yeah, all of the... There is, there is Anne, we mentioned, the, uh, the only other female character who... And one of two disabled characters in the book. Who, uh... Chrome remembers that he has magic healing powers and uses it on her arm and restores use of her arm. So, th- that's done. Yep, that's done. And then they- And she has the defining trait of being nice. She is nice. She is a nice girl. She deserves better. She is a nice girl because she desires for her womb to be filled. That's the worst way you could have possibly put that. I'm not wrong. You're not wrong at all. Like, functionally. Uh-huh. That is what makes her a good, nice girl. Is she is not jockeying for position with the men. Mm-hmm. She's just she has all these gifts and she's not using them, and that's what makes her good. God. And then they go down to this old like cemetery, and they visit Mother Mona, who was the original source well, for all their not genetic material. A cemetery. I mean, functionally, it is, but what it is is like the super lower levels of these medical labs, which contain a bunch of cryogenically preserved bodies that they're somehow harvesting genetic material from without cracking the seals. And one of the people there is described as having marvelous fertility. (laughs) And she's a 26-year-old woman who's been frozen for hundreds of years, since 1997, Hmm. since the far-off year of 1997. Who can imagine? And her name was Mona Pease. Yep. That's quite a name. Mm-hmm. The poor woman. Maybe it's best she was frozen. <laughs> it's better than being alive in this world. True. And she is the progenitor, and now there is a cult around her. But, like, the cult consists of sometimes people leave flowers there. And then like, we get another soapboxy moment where, you know, the scientists are trying to discourage this, this sort of observation because they fear the power of religion. Oh my god. It's so much. It's so strange. 
And Chrome has another psychic moment where he, he realizes that the person whose jizz made him, it wasn't a genetic combination of traits. It was clearly from the capsule right next to Mona. Mm-hmm. And somebody should get on that. And it turns out that aliens made contact with us in 1997 and we just missed it, y'all. We were not on the ball. But, and this dude just like wandered down and was like, hey, could you all put me in uh, one of them cryotubes next to that lady so that in a couple centuries you can put my jizz inside her? Yep. And so Crumb is actually not a robot at all, nor is he the next hope of humankind because he is not made of refined genetic material of humanity at all. He is part human, part alien. Therefore, truly making him the Ubermensch, the next evolution of humankind. And he a just kind of figure. flips off Earth and is like, buy a garbage planet. Like, yep. the whole message of this book is, fuck Earth. Mm-hmm. Literally just fuck Earth. This is the future liberals want. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, I, that's like, this it, this is that's the, the book. This the most Republican gay porn novel I've ever seen. Uh-huh. I don't understand. I just, mm. Anyway, Chrome is extremely stupid and gets himself cocked on the head again. Yep. Also, one of his children has been murdered. We don't really care. Yeah. It was a girl. So who gives a fuck? <sighs> that that does prompt the ending of this section, which means that Chrome has to go on the run again. And yeah. One of the four-year-old children just born from Chrome's weird, quote-unquote, bondage orgy has been mutilated and beheaded and left as a warning. And the rest of the inhabitants of the weird nursery for them have been spirited away somewhere, including Dr. Irene. She's gone now. Bye. No, no, she's dead. She was one, she was one of the bodies. Was she? Yeah, she got axed. And the 15 children were taken back by Sora. Yeah. But but she, she was described as not hot, but, you know, marvelously commanding and with a real presence. Mm-hmm. She, she was like, who's not sexy, except I totally would bang her. <laughs> and you might be wondering, what happens to those 15 children? And we would be wondering that as well. We it's a be good question. That forever. Uh huh. Because uh, Chrome fucks off to space. Not yet. Yeah. No, there's more. Oh, that's right. There's more. So Jameson, as so it turns we were out, talking about him fucking the dog, though. Ah, uh, yes. This is the point at which that becomes relevant. Because you see, Jameson, I guess, just doesn't want to deal with Chrome anymore. Reasonable. Chrome is a selfish asshole who is a dick to Jameson all the time. Mm-hmm. So he assigns him a robot to be his new bodyguard. And remember, robots cannot love. Which apparently is not entirely true. No, explicitly the problem is... A combination of sterility and a lack of romantic and or sexual attachment. So Rover. That's his name. He picked it himself. Because he's so loyal. Because that's that's what he wanted to embody. The traits of a doggo. I mean, Which, like, in fairness, literally the best character in the book. Uh-huh. Rover Ro- is good. Ro- Rover's my favorite. Mm-hmm. He's a good boy. He is. And I love him. He also, this is another of these weird doubling moments where, remember earlier we had a dude who looked exactly like Chrome? Mm. Apparently Rover looks exactly like Vortex for some reason. It, it's like waved off as, oh, they were going to try and use him as like a political double, do you well, see? Well, Chrome thinks that. Mm. he He's not smart, though. He That's failed true. the Lestat test. 
He had to ask questions about a random metal. (laughs) That's very true. So maybe people just fucking look alike. Maybe there's not enough genetic diversity in this extremely genetically diverse planet. (laughs) I mean, in the opener to this novel, it says, What is to come we view through the eyes of one of its supposedly more enlightened young cadets. (laughs) So, like... Allegedly. It did warn us. Chrome dumb, dumb as fuck. Uh-huh. A oh, bunch oh, of- Yeah, also, all of this this whole novel is narrated by Chrome from the perspective of- It's all a retrospect. Mm-hmm. He is personally narrating this to us. So, yeah, Rover. Yeah. So, once again, we have hit a portion of the book where major political upheaval is happening, and Chrome has fucked off with a dude to the middle of nowhere, where he is cut off from any and all occurrences in the actual plot. And Rover is a very good boy who is extremely dedicated to Chrome and cares about him so much and loves him. And and enjoys large amounts of physical contact. He very cuddle. from the very first moment explains that he is not interested in sex with anybody. Just doesn't it, care for it. He likes physical intimacy and he is extremely affectionate, but he does not want or enjoy sex and... It makes him uncomfortable when people want that dick. Because he's- And also, he's super hot. Oh, he is so hot. Incredibly hot. He's a very large hot man, because he looks like Vortex. Which leads- Which, at first, Chrome is chill with this, because, ah, so tragic. But, But Chrome keeps going, but my dick- but my dick, though. Yeah, eventually he starts to get the bone on, and then he remembers once again that he has magic healing abilities, and then tries to use them. And, like, them. I want to give this an iota of credit. Just the tiniest amount. Because Chrome understands the concept of sometimes straight dudes don't want to fuck you. That's an established thing that happens in this universe, is sometimes straight dudes don't want to fuck you. And they're tragically straight. So sad. Because, you know, then they're susceptible to the lures of vile womanhood. Mm-hmm. But, like, sometimes that happens. I suspect that George Nader is one of those vagina-icky gays. Probably. But he dead, so fuck him. But the book, in the smallest moment of credit, indeed the only moment of credit it ever gets, when Chrome lays his, does, does his lay Laying of, of hands, hands on <laughs> Rover's head. I use lay, of, lay on hands. <laughs> that only does 1d4. You know that, right? <laughs> And he, he gets a message back from the magic spirit immortals that it's not going to work because there's nothing there to fix. See, see, boners are not actually life-threatening. Turns out. Boners are lack thereof. But it immediately loses po- all the points it accrued because it starts out with lots of jokes about how Rover is defective and how his brains were scrambled. Yeah. Well, he, he has a feel bad about saying that. Like... He makes a joke about Rover's disability and then immediately mentally excoriates himself while still constantly being a dick to Rover. But it, like it is because scientists fucked around in his brain. Right. Right, because his brain was mutilated. But also, he just ace. He's he just a nice ace boy. He's just a nice ace boy who, who, who like a cuddle. And, and eventually, Chrome gets desensitized to bonerism to the point where he is slightly less of a douche and they have a nice cuddle. And they walk the, around and hold hands. They walk around and hold hands, and it's really nice. Uh-huh. And, and actually, I think Rover might be homoromantic, but extremely ace. And that's good. It's good. But Rover we need to find good. him a better boyfriend. Well, he's fine, so. 
It's well, good. We, we need to find him a better person to cuddle mm-hmm. with who is not Chrome. Mm-hmm. You know, Boner Man, as his name means <laughs> in the ancient tongue. You just can't. This nice ace boy can't date a man named Boner. <laughs> It's only that. going to lead to heartbreak for this nice boy. But the nice boy desperately wants to be a member of the Proud Warrior race. Mm-hmm. It's all he wants in life. That, that is his aspiration. Apparently everybody knows about the Proud Warrior race now, when Chrome was totally ignorant of their existence when this book started. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's just a thing people know about. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, Donald shows up and dies. Yeah, so it Donald's evil. Yeah, Donald was a secret agent, I guess, and they sent him to die, and they used his his plane as he left to blow up the building that had Mother Mona in it, so that all that shit is just done, buried now. That's done. Yep, that's canceled. Uh, it all happened off screen yet again. Chrome had nothing to do with it. Chrome is informed by the much more capable people dealing with his whole stupid life. Mm Hmm. And, and then Crumb starts suffering constant hallucinations because plot. Because of plot reasons. Which makes him want to fuck back off to the desert because if he cannot be with Vortex again, he shall surely die. And then he has what is explicitly explained to be hallucination from the beginning of it, therefore killing all tension. Uh-huh. Hey, um, you know how everybody loved it in Breaking oh, Dawn? Oh, we have a guest! Hello, baby. I'm about to explain about the bad movie. Oh, they're so exciting. Yes, it is. Um, play with your toy, Chris. So you know how everybody loved it in Breaking Dawn Part 2? Where in the movie, they added in this extensive action sequence during the big final standoff. And a bunch of people died. And it was dramatic. And then it immediately took it back. Because it was a future vision that uh, Dakota Fanning was having. This book does that. I I thought Dakota Fanning... I thought Fanning's power was causing pain and Ashley Green's power was seeing the future. Yeah, that one then. You know, the future-y one. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I thought her power was seeing the future when it's convenient. Yeah, well, it was very convenient for an action scene that we needed for our third act. And then everybody talked it out and went home. Were there werewolves there? Because if there were, she shouldn't have been able to see it. I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> uh, I'm just a dick. <laughs> Yeah, this book does that. This book did it before it was cool. Was it ever cool? Are we still waiting? (laughs) It's going to come around any minute now. (laughs) Yes, and so we are told ahead of time that this is a hallucination, but it's a very big, it's the first time, it would be the second actual action sequence in the film where Jameson confronts Chrome and- And Vortex. Who is there? They're just together again because of reasons somehow. In- their desert oasis palace. Mm-hmm. And Jameson is old and Where shriveled. Where they used to fuck. And embittered. And and he hates Chrome now. And this is the closest thing to a through line the novel has. Where, uh, where like, they're two parallel tracks from starting out in school together. And I'm, so I'm like, oh, that's almost, that's almost a thing. And uh, he and Jameson should be exes, is the thing. Uh-huh. Like, that, that should be a relationship that's present there. But, but Jameson is an inferior human. So, like... And that, like, that is... Oh, by the way, Anne's pregnant. Yeah, um, before... Bef- that that was Donald... Part of Donald's whole thing is he also farmed some jizz and, from Chrome and gave it to Anne. But, yeah, there's this whole dramatic fight and Chrome has to shoot Jameson in self-defense and he's full of sads, but it was all a hallucination, so it doesn't matter. And we never learn what actually happens to him in real. So that's fun. Then Chrome goes... 
to the desert oasis and everything is fine and somehow Vortex knows to be there right then and, and they fuck off to space and we're assured that Rover gets to be a warrior man, which is the only thing I care about. Yeah, Rover has a nice time and that's the only thing that matters. The end. Literally. That's how it ends. I'm not fucking kidding. <laughs> He's being fitted for his cape right now, even as we speak. <laughs> Yep, that's the line. Like, here's the end of the book, y'all. <laughs> Thus for me it all began. <laughs> yeah, here we go. One last tie with this planet tugged at my heart. Vortex, wait. There's a loyal, highly deserving being who protected me. He would be a fine warrior candidate, most worthy of your consider- The immortals convinced me of that some time ago. Rover's mentation comes through to them out of the murk of Earth like a bright beacon. They find his clarity invaluable. Even now he is being fitted for his uniform. He tousled my hair, flung his arm hard around my shoulders, and, beginning to laugh at my speechless happy surprise, walked me away with him. Away from the mound of stones, out to join the warriors and the ships. To start our journey to the stars, and beyond to a million far lovelier worlds. Thus for me it all began. The end. So this so, so book they just, sucks. So they just leave Earth and I guess his kids are just going to be used for sexual purposes, sexual inbreeding purposes. Well, he did sign over all of his Earth, like his cadet credits to Jill. So presumably the kid will be taken care of. I mean, not the 15 kids that Sora has. Yeah, that's Fuck what them. I meant. Oh, yeah. Well, no, the, you know. The one from the good breeding stock. Chris, what are you doing? You're upside down. You're literally upside down. She's a helpful baby. So, this book is bad. It's poorly written. Plot threads go nowhere. It's hell. Uh huh. It's and anti-Semitic and misogynistic. Mm hmm. Everything happens off screen, and the main character sucks. And he's mostly unconscious. And when he's conscious, I wish he were dead. You could have books, it's very hard, but you can have books about an idiot protagonist who keeps blundering his way through large situations he doesn't understand. Rincewind. Like, you have to be a good fucking writer to do that, though, is the thing. Terry Pratchett was a master of that craft. And they have to actually be there when shit happens. Right. Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. Dent Arthur Dent is not smart or strong or good at anything. It can be done. And also the fact that Chrome is a stupid idiot protagonist, but we are informed so many times that, that he is, he in is fact... extremely lovable and charming and intelligent and strong and better than all of humanity could ever aspire to be. Incorrect. I hate him. He's horrible. He's awful. He... Again, they keep parading small vulnerable creatures on screen for like a minute. So that Chrome can feel sad when the small vulnerable creatures, and I'm including human beings in this, suffer some form of uh, of trauma or death. And the result is the total opposite. It doesn't convince me of his empathy at all. It, it makes me feel profoundly alienated from, from all of it. And it, it feels like a, a deeply unpleasant scenario. It's yeah. Chrome is so selfish because he only cares about people when they directly impact him. And it winds up reflecting a worldview that cares only about this very narrow margin of humanity. We didn't touch on it much, but there's this through line about how Chrome is like, you know, a very tender young man who cries a lot about stuff. And by the end of the book, his parting words to Anne are to teach their, the, to teach 
their spawn not to cry. Because the warriors don't cry. There's a bunch of scenes throughout the book where different people um, all independently, possibly without ever talking to one another or knowing that this is lore. This is the symptom of a bad GM. (laughs) You know, forgetting which NPCs know what. (laughs) But where they all um, independently and spontaneously manifest the ideal that crying is not allowed. Like, people from different planets and professions. Yeah. And it's so weird because, like, we're just now starting to tap into modern stories about, you know, with with tender young male protagonists who are allowed to cry. So it's weird. Like, I expected Chrome to be that kind of protagonist. I I felt like I expected him to, like, revolutionize something or, like, change the warriors just as they changed him. But no, this is not a reciprocal situation. This is literally, hey, let me scoop that dude out. Let me uh, just uh, teach him to man up. Let me scoop this fishy out of your fish tank and bye. Mm-hmm. Turning off the filters. Like, fuck you got mine. And like, part of me can see the appeal of, in the 70s, a gay author. I want to be uplifted and taken away from this shithole planet. Uh-huh. Like, I get that to an extent. But also, the racism and the misogyny, though, kind of detract from that. We at no point find out how... The, the warrior's um, planet is structured other than that it is an absolute monarchy. Also, uh, Vortex's name in his language it means something like fucker who destroys everything. Uh-huh. The Deathbringer. So hardcore. The implacable Deathbringer. We do learn one word in that language, though. Alright. That Chrome keeps using at every possible opportunity. You know what the word is? What? Yeah. <laughs> that, yep. that's what that's the word he learned uh-huh so whenever somebody says something to him he'll just respond with nava and he feels very smart and superior to them for, for using this alien word that literally means huh he is that weeb who learned <laughs> nani and nothing else <laughs> yeah that that's it uh-huh <laughs> that is what we have here He's that shithead. And he also definitely believes that Glorious Nippon is so much more understanding of gayness. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, we, we have no idea how their culture is arranged other than that it's an absolute monarchy with with a warrior caste structure. And that so, they definitely like, who are their... they killing? Who do these per- people go around killing? I mean, they're definitely keeping their women folk in the f- barefoot in the kitchen where they belong. Right. Definitely. But what what does the species look like? Like, what do the females of the species look like? I mean... What does the species' sexual dimorphism look like? They look exactly like humans because... Lazy. But, like, what if the women are, like, weird jelly blobs or something? I mean, that... Or, or like, queen bees or something. Mm. Like, what if it's absolutely... <laughs> that sounds dangerously more creative than that no- than this novel is capable of being. <laughs> Like, who knows? You speak heresy. Because, again, Chrome is a profoundly incurious idiot Mm -hmm. who doesn't ask any of these basic-ass questions. I mean, it's, like, you know, there there is definitely the popular type of story where the world is crumbling, but we're only focusing on personal, but personal relationships are paramount. Like, Cabaret does it, Evangelion Mm -hmm. does it. But it's weird 
when this book is when, when the relationship is gone from the page for so long and we yeah. are ostensibly dealing with the meat of the political Vortex situation is gone for a couple hundred pages like but the politics of the situation is literally who gets to fuck chrome mhm it's does vortex get to fuck chrome or does chrome jerk off into a test tube occasionally mm-hmm. the hardship how, how about he gets to fuck vortex and also sometimes jerks off into a test tube. It kills, it would kill you to jizz and send off a, like, I get that it's a about bodily, like, I get that it's about bodily autonomy or whatever, but also fuck Chrome, he's a dick. Also, Chrome doesn't get to say anything about bodily autonomy because of the entire through line about female fertility. It's Chrome true. doesn't get to make a choice there. Let- fuck his ass. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, the book, the the Lulzy dildo book is not very Lulzy. Like we said, it's out of print. So I guess if you're really feeling it, you could probably find a PDF online. Um, Look, last I checked, used copies were going for about 50 bucks and up. So it's like as out of print books go, there have been worse, but it's probably more than you want to spend on a curiosity read. Yeah, like I have it for my collection because that's what I collect. But if you're looking to read it, be like a dinosaur. Find a way. <laughs> yeah, so I think next time we're going to take a look at something depressing in a different way. Like, just for funsies. Oh, <laughs> but before we get to that, uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked this, you can also find our other podcast, Trash and Treasures, by searching on SoundCloud. If you leave us a rating or review, we super appreciate it. It helps folks find us. And if you want to contact us, you can always email us at trashandtreasures underscore pod at outlook.com. Or you can find us on social media. We're on Pillow Fort at uh, just look at for Trash and Treasures under communities. Um, that's an easy way for us to talk to you in like a forum style. So we're kind of excited about it. Or you can find us on Tumblr at trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com on Twitter at trashpod. Um, and, you know, if you come say hi to us we'll give you a shout out on the show i definitely want to say hi to at jupiter doomsday who um you know we're we were really touched uh by the comments they left on uh the princeless stop podcast it's it's really nice to know that our tearing into the fucked up shit with with Anne's whole everything with that book uh is helpful to some people because like those books are bad but you know if if some of the discussion we bring to light makes people feel a little better or a little seen than it was worth doing it, you know? So we're glad you liked it. Right. So next time we are looking at a different kind of depressed. So next time we decided we'd plumb into a, a pretty specific subset of young adult novel that I read when I was a young teenager. They were all the rage. We're going to be looking at the Don Rochelle series by Lurleen McDaniels. So get ready for some death fetish. Oh my god. Uh, it's like the fault in your stars before the fault in, your, in our stars. The fart in our souls. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but, but with less Holocaust metaphor. Because this is Christian. It's, it's going to be wild. So look forward to that. Uh, until next time, take care of yourselves. See y'all.